Welcome to the 1.01 Podcast. I'm Wilson Lim Setiawan, and the idea for this podcast is rooted in the concept that small incremental gains compounded over a long period of time can eventually lead to great results. Today's conversation is with Lillian Tsang, APMM at Google. We talk about going from Berkeley House to landing a job at Google, balancing content creation with a full-time job, and breaking down earning 47000 in her first year of social media. Hope you guys enjoy. Okay, thank you so much for the time to join us today, Lillian. I'm curious, obviously you have a role at Google, which we'll dive into later, but you grew up in the Bay Area. I was wondering if big tech was always on your radar, even in like middle school, high school. Yeah, so thank you for thank you so much for having me. Super excited to be on your podcast. And yeah, so I grew up in the Bay Area where I did all my schooling there. And growing up, um, I think there was a heavy emphasis on STEM, especially engineering. A lot of the kids, like the parents and the families, most of them worked in tech. Actually, like it was not uncommon to hear a lot of uh, kids' parents were like executives or had like high positions in the industry. And I think being in that environment kind of exposes you really early on to the industry. And since there's such a heavy emphasis on STEM and math and doing well in those subjects, I think it's something that a lot of kids um, try to do well in. And that's how it creates a sort of competitive culture as everyone's trying to kind of achieve what their parents are achieving, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Mike, is that sort of links to like the next step, right? So obviously you went to Berkeley Haas and I'm wondering, you know, in the high school, in that sort of pressure cooker, what was the sort of decision-making like to go to college? So I think when I was in high school, especially in the Bay Area, like college is a no-brainer. Like I think if you look at the reports of people who go to college, around 95% will go, will go to a four-year university and maybe five percent will go to a two-year university but it's basically a given that you're going to college and it's interesting because all throughout high school at least the one that I went to even though we had like homework every day there would still be after-school tutoring programs or college essay programs that all the parents send their kids to and that's something that uh, we're really heavily used to and I remember just in high school, like the only thing I cared about was getting into a good college. Like I would do anything that I could possibly do to get myself into a quote unquote good college. And parents would do the same thing or like they would push me in that direction. Right. So I got into Berkeley, which was one of my top choices, which I was super happy about, mostly because it has a really good econ and business program and it was close to where my family lived. So it was like a double plus in that area. So I entered Berkeley um, in fall 2018 intending to go to business. And the way it works is you go into Berkeley as undeclared major, kind of meaning you have to um, take all the prereqs, reapply into the major you want to. And that's what I did for the business school, at least. How it worked is that you have to do your essays, your extracurriculars, submit your transcripts. It was just like applying to college again. So it was pretty stressful, but somehow I made it through the hoops of that. I got into Haas, which is where I graduated with my degree. And I'm super grateful for everything that's happened since then. I could dive more deeper into that um, if you'd like. 
Yeah, for sure. And I just want to ask you, obviously it has exploring different fields, you know, you uh, saw that you were like in a consulting organization, you had a venture capital uh, internship. Obviously, I guess you ended up in sort of a, the APM role, the uh, role at uh, Google, right? And that was through, I guess, the Bold program. Could you, I guess, elaborate on how you sort of ended up there? Like, do you think that was like the dream path for you? So context, I am doing marketing. So my current title is Associate Product Marketing Manager, which I feel like is not a very um, common role that a lot of people take, especially in the business field. But when I was in college, I've always known I wanted to stay in this sort of businessy field. I ca- I came in originally intending to be a business major. Um, and then throughout college, I maintained this small business that I had, which was making plushies. This was something that I started a little time ago, but that's a whole other story. I went in and tried to do a few professional clubs, like um, consulting clubs is a huge thing in culture, a lot of business schools. So I tried doing that and just general, like meeting new people and like learning about different industries and things like that. And I'd done so many internships. I'd done a total of four internships throughout my college years. The main one being the Google Bold APMM internship in my junior summer, which is where I had the most exposure to marketing at a large organization. And I think it was a really good stepping stone into my first job, which was the same role, but like the full-time version of it. And I can also go into more detail about how that works and other things like that. No, I, actually, I did want to talk about your Etsy store. I will, oh, yeah. I, the plush toys. I guess sort of you mentioned in a video once that that's sort of uh, your first interest is like arts and crafts related. Uh, could you like just talk a little bit? How did the story even start? Like what's some of your favorite like sales you've done? Yeah, so it's a really long story, but... It started when I was in middle school and there were kids who would like do sewing and other stuff like crafting. And I mean, I've always done art lessons and drawing classes when I was really young. So it was something that when I learned about it, I picked it up pretty quickly. And also my mom has a sewing machine and she knew how to sew stuff. So she kind of helped me on that. Um, I think back in 2013 or 2014, there was a lot there was a lot of stuff happening in like the crafting space on YouTube. It was like a really, really big niche on YouTube at the time. So I started making these videos of like me making the plushies and like showing people. And that eventually led people's interest to like buying what they were seeing me make. So that was the main thing. Then I began selling on Etsy, which is like a handmade marketplace if you've never heard of Etsy. And it kind of just spiraled through there. I think like once I got to high school, it kind of slowed down a bit. I was focused on like college apps and academics, all those things. But I think it was a pretty big step when I got interested in like the business field. It's something that I talked a lot about in my college essays to get into Berkeley and then the essays that got me into Haas. And even like during job interviews, I would bring it up and people were always very curious and excited to hear that I've like had some sort of entrepreneurial um, like selling product experience so it's helped me in so many different steps um, in like my early career journey so I think it's always been 
a really great creative outlet and then also a great talking point to have during like these types of big interviews and stuff. Yeah. So like you mentioned, like, I guess that was like making videos and just having the plushies there. Linked to in Berkeley, I guess you started to make, you know, typical college day in the life of a Berkeley student, how to get into Haas type videos. What was the kickstarting for that sort of inspiration? Oh, okay. Yeah. So I feel like in terms of content creation itself, I was pretty familiar with how that worked because I've done it before in like a different setting when I was really young. But in terms of how I actually made videos again, um, so I had this YouTube channel, right? Back when I was younger. So I stopped for like five or six years between then and college because of college apps and stuff, right? Uh, but then in college, actually, so I would be getting these internships and I'd realize that other people would be asking me how you would get these internships or what tips you have for doing that. And once I received those same questions multiple times repetitively, I thought it would be easier just to make videos. Um, just to say the same thing that a thousand people could hear instead of repeating it a thousand times. So that's how I got started. I think a lot of people really like that type of content. I think I was also good at explaining explaining it. And so that's how I got started in content creation more recently. And it's still something that I'm, a, I'm working on like little by little every day. Yeah, I guess LinkedIn also is, you know, obviously, like you mentioned, it's for like what people would ask you is the videos you want to make. Obviously now transitioning to a full-time working role, the content also has to shift. I wonder how do you think about like creating content now? Because for example, I saw you just bought a car. Congrats for that purchase. Oh, and obviously great. you made like a whole like, like vlog and like a step-by-step process. So do you almost think about certain things in your life now as content opportunities or what's your process now? Yeah, I feel like I'm not very hardcore when it comes to content. I feel like I try to make content based on events or experiences in my life while still trying to keep it informative and useful for the audience. So I still do talk about career topics now and then, but I feel like that's not the main focus of what I put out anymore. Uh, for example, I think now, like you said, like the car videos, since this was a, since it was such a big event and milestone i think i would just put out like uh like a short car vlog or tips for buying your first car as a first time buyer from someone else's experience buying their first car so stuff like that and like if i come to a new milestone in like my professional life i would share that i'd be like oh this is what i did and this is how it could be helpful for you try to keep it to that lens and also mixing in some fun stuff in my life too no, yeah, for sure. I think there's a great perspective on it. And obviously, I guess, you know, moderate success, you've had, you know, some, you've had a post that went quite big of like making 47K in your first year. I'm wondering what was like the moment that you realized, oh, I could actually really generate an income for myself through uh, social media. Yeah, so I'm pretty open about like the side hustle stuff that I do online just because I think it's like, something that anyone can really start and grow social media is such a big thing now like people really do look towards it as a way to like grow your personal brand your personal business and not going to lie i think before i started my youtube channel back in college i would watch a lot of personal finance channels and i've just seen so many of them talking about like the power of social media not that i went into it purely just to make 
like revenue which is a huge part of like spending so much time and doing work but like providing value in a way in which people can see that value in you and like pay you at the value and I think I started thinking about how this creator monetization system all works when I first created my uh, very first viral TikTok video which was like a 10 second resume video that took me like 15 minutes to make honestly I didn't expect it to reach so many people I think it has around 2.4 million views now so then from that video there were some brands that would comment on my video and I used that opportunity to reach out to them to see if they had any interest in doing a partnership it was not something that I've done previously and luckily I had a brand that replied back to me and I tried to do a partnership with them. So that was kind of my first step into um, like influencer marketing in that sense on TikTok mostly and I can also expand more on that if you have any more like ideas or questions on that. Yeah, I guess part of that I remember you did do like a step-by-step step step video, you know, going through, oh, you DMing them, this is the quote, negotiation. How did you even decide your rate at that point? Because obviously that's like the first big uh, chance to work with a brand. Like, just walk me through what was like in your mind at that time. Yeah, so I did a lot of research externally. So I think going into it, I had like a pretty solid idea of like how it worked. And I think at the time, a common formula that people use is to take the number of followers you have and multiply between 2% to 6%, like wherever amount you're comfortable with. So I tried to do that and it, it actually worked. Like people were like receptive to it. So I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. I think it had around 10K followers at the time. So if you do the math, then you probably estimate like around the amount. Um, I think as you have more experience, you can increase it. And then also there are these things like usage rights and whitelisting exclusivity. Um, that you can also do add-ons for because those are additional terms that companies asking you for. So those are some factors that come into play when it comes to like deciding a rate and how to um, set yourself up when you're a content creator. Yeah, for sure. I guess that's that's definitely the research before is is definitely key to deciding how much you're worth. I'm curious in terms of you had some like traditional news publications reach out to you, like. Business Insider, GMA. I was like, were you nervous? Like when you, when the email came into your DM, like how was it like thinking like, oh, I'm going to just talk about myself on TV. Like it's kind of weird, right? Oh my goodness. Yeah. I had a few experiences with talking to news outlets, which is honestly so crazy because I would think like they would want to talk to really established, really big people for like these national moments, but like, even if you are starting out or on the journey, like, there's still a chance to share your story and perspective, which is really awesome. But, yeah, I was interviewed by GMA earlier this year about living at home. It was apparently a controversial topic. It still is, I guess. So I talked about that on national television. <laughs> and... It was actually less nerve-wracking than I thought because it was just like a casual Zoom conversation for like 15 minutes. Like it wasn't like 
I was speaking live or anything, so it was fine. And they would just like record the meeting of me talking to them about the experience, and then they would take the video and paste it on their um, like news television segment. And I remember like waking up one day at like seven a.m. to watch it live on TV, and it was just mind blown. Oh, uh, yeah, that's like a pretty good experience. But I guess it's part of what you mentioned. Like sometimes the reels or the content that you post that you don't think anything of ends up blowing up the the most. I'm wondering if you have like any sort of like frustrations or maybe like certain content that you put a lot of time in but generates like almost no returns. And how do you sort of like just continue going on from there? Oh yeah, I think it's definitely a mind sh- mind mindset thing. Like the some of the videos you put the most effort in does the worst and can go the other way around too. And I just try to take it day by day. I don't take it too seriously at the end of the day. And I kind of just try to remember like the main reason or the mission of posting the content, whether if it's like inspiration, educational, or just want to gain more experience, grow your brand, etc. So I think as long as you just have fun with it and don't take yourself too seriously, I think you know, there's always room to grow and to do new things. Yeah. I guess I also want to ask, like, you know, being like trying to continue be consistent, even though some some videos blow up, some don't do well. But at the same time, managing a full time job at, you know, one of the biggest tech companies around. Do you do you feel like you're living a second life almost? How do you sort of balance the two identities? <laughs> Yeah, honestly, I think it's a lot sometimes just because there's like so many different things like demanding your time, right? But I think for me, like content creation is mostly a second priority. I do take my main role as like my first priority. So I try not to put too much pressure on myself, but I try to give myself breaks when it's needed and if there are days in which I can't like do content that day or if it's just not like I just can't do it like I don't force myself to do it I'll just watch tv or like do something else that day honestly and then when I gain the energy back for different things I would like try to tackle those but it's like really ebb and flow there's no like very much predictability to be honest yeah, no, for sure. I guess that's a pretty healthy way to balance it. And I guess also like in this space, I mean, content, especially nowadays, there's a million people doing it, right? Even for, let's say, UC Berkeley vlog now, you could get a hundred people doing the, the say, a different day in the life. I'm curious, what's your opinion on sort of like inspiration and being in a space that is pretty crowded? Do you look at other people as inspiration? Like, oh, like I have my own thoughts on this or sometimes do you see that like, uh, oh, I, I can't make a video about this because sounds already has a million do- a million view video about this. How do you feel about that? Hmm. I actually don't think it's something that I really think about because I feel like even if other people are talking about the same thing, like you would always have a different perspective or a different way of presenting a similar topic. And I think at the end of the day, like people come back to watch you not because of like, oh, like it's UC Berkeley or a specific type of video, but they come back to you because they like watching you as a person or like your specific thoughts on what you have to say about a topic, even if that topic is saturated. So I think like everyone has 
their own unique voice that they can share and like people can follow different people talking about the same thing but because of like those different types of perspectives yeah no for sure i guess you're right everyone has a unique take on things i'm curious in terms of all of this like just say side hustle related how much do you think like your berkeley education actually prepared you for it and sort of set you up for it yeah that's a good question i think like a lot of these things when it comes to like just growing in life um, in terms of like how Berkeley's affected me, I guess there's two ways to the discussion in terms of like how it's helped me end up to where I am now. I think a lot of it is a snowball effect. So I feel like the effort that I put into when I was young has really like snowballed into what I have now, if that makes sense. And I think the people that I met in Berkeley and like just like general uh, like networking and stuff, knowledge has been really helpful in setting me up for the world after. And I think just like the people that I've met at UC Berkeley have really inspired me, um, always push each other to do our best. And it's helped a lot, honestly. Okay. That, that, I mean, that's good. Thing. I feel like it's, it's quite the trend for people to say like their college education is useless or their college network is not helpful, but it's like sort of enlightening to hear you say it like the other side. Uh, I'm curious, this is a question I stole from another podcast, but what do you think is the nicest thing someone's done for you? It could be like maybe um, in one of your first jobs, someone really sticking their neck out to give you a job could be... Um, your car broke down and a stranger randomly helped you push it on the street. I'm just, yeah, what sort of acts of gratitude stand out to you? Yeah, I think this is hard to think of on the spot, but I can think of moments like throughout my life, I'd say. And I think some of the most pivotal moments I remember is when I was in college, um, there would be older students who would take the time to like, read my Haas application essays or like go over my resume like 10 times and tell me everything that's wrong with it. So I don't think there are specific moments, but there are moments left that when I was in college, like older students willing to mentor younger ones and kind of steer them a bit, which I've been super grateful for because I think if it were for some of those people that I've met in Berkeley, like I don't know if I would be here today. So it kind of goes back on the previous discussion about like, how has Berkeley helped me? I think there were like different moments like that where I think it really has. Yeah, for sure. I guess like sort of returning the favor by publicizing your content and your advice on all the different platforms. Yeah, like kind of democratizing it so more people can benefit as well. Yeah, for sure. And I guess... I named this the 1.01 podcast because I really enjoyed uh, James Clear's idea that, you know, small habits over a long period of time are really helpful. What do you think are some of the key habits that you've developed or are currently following? Definitely. Um, I would say the main one for me is discipline, which in my opinion, I think is just doing something consistently over time, even though there are days in which you don't want to do that sad thing but you kind of have to do it anyways. And I think that's just been applied throughout my like academic life in general, just like pushing through like 
knowing that there is an end goal in sight and I have to do those things to get to where I want to be. And even now, like getting up every day, like going to work, like doing the content, even though there might be some days in which I don't want to do any of those things, but I still push myself to do it. Not saying that you can't take a break because you really definitely should. But as a general theme, like always working towards something and being disciplined and willing to wake up every day and to do it. <laughs> no, yeah, for sure. I guess that's powerful. Like that you've been making videos for a while now. It's not just one month of video every day. It's been consistently gradual. Yeah, yeah. yeah I definitely agree with that. Just to wrap up here, I'm wondering in a year's time, where do you see your content and your professional life? I feel like a year, honestly, is not that much time because I personally, after graduating college, like one year passes by so much quicker compared to being in school since you don't have that timeline anymore. But personally, I hope to advance a little bit further in terms of like um, knowledge and experience and Honestly, there are so many things that can happen in years' time, so it's really hard to say. But as long as I keep working and growing, I think that's um, something I would be happy with. That is actually a pretty healthy way to think about it. Not necessarily <laughs> aiming, not aiming for some like metric like hundred k or the next promotion, but it's just improving. But yeah, I really appreciate the time that you took today to speak to me, Lillian. Yeah, it was so awesome to talk about all this. And thank you so much for having me.